This is Dave. Welcome back to another episode of Stone Mountain Media, and I am particularly delighted to bring this episode to you. It's going to be a little bit different than the usual fare. Normally, Sugar Sean and I sit down and discuss a, a topic that we're interested in in the moment and kind of riff back and forth and pray to the Lord that he would use it to your benefit. But we, we're also in, intent on trying to put out as much useful content as we possibly can. And so we've created different social media platforms to, to push out the podcast material we're creating. We're in the process of building out a website to start pushing out blog material. And so we'll, we'll keep you in the loop as that develops. And, and with that intent to generate abundant Christian content celebrating the victorious rule of Christ over all things. Uh, tonight, I recorded Sugar Sean teaching us through Revelation 3, uh, looking at the church in Philadelphia. Sugar Sean, much like Johnny Mac, uh, much like other prominent pastors in the evangelical world across America, has taken his cue from the government and only only done what the government uh, grants him to do. Honestly, if the government says, don't teach the Bible, don't have church, don't assemble, well, we're not going to do that because whatever the government says, clearly it's its prerogative to say with force. And so you're going to hear Sugar Sean... Uh, teaching the Bible, teaching Revelation 3, it's going to sound like there's actually people there gathered around the Word who who prayed together before and after, who sang psalms together before and after. But don't worry, it's just an illusion. I'm growing in my uh, skills with sound effects and I just added in sound effects so it wouldn't sound like a UFC event without fans. I wanted to take care of your listening experience in that way. I hope... Sean's teaching is a blessing to you. And if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it now and be blessed as we together study Jesus' letter to the church in Philadelphia. Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. So David said this last week, but we've been... Uh, chopping up the letters a lot more. That started when we were not meeting for a couple weeks. David was out of town. We weren't doing uh, meetings, and so we broke it down a little bit more because there's plenty to say about a lot of these letters. And from there, we're chopping it up two to three, two to three uh, Bible studies per per letter. Uh, as we near the end here, we're gonna knock out the last two letters in two weeks. So this week, Philadelphia. Next week, Laodicea. Uh, certainly, there's some repetitiveness in the letters, right? I mean, he's, he's writing to all these churches and in writing to them uh, in one way or another is commanding all of them to, to hold fast uh, until he comes in judgment and to, uh, to many of them to make uh, corrections in ways they're erring. So uh, certainly some repetitiveness, but uh, each church being addressed is also being addressed uniquely uh, in the ways that they need to hold fast, what it is uh, Christ is commanding them. So, you know, don't allow, as we get to the end of the letters here, don't allow similar language, similar messages to start to fall on deaf ears. Uh, this is God's word for us, and we want it to be uh, fruitful to us. So again, we're in uh, Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13, so I'll read the text now, and then we'll jump right in. 
Revelation 3, starting at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make of them. Uh, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This is the word of the Lord. So, uh, Jesus does a similar thing here with Philadelphia as he's done with uh, all of the churches so far, which is uh, to identify himself at the, at, uh, at the start of the letter with some of his characteristics. Right? He says that uh, to the, the angel, right, he's writing to the, the pastors, as we've talked about, of the church in Philadelphia, saying uh, that he, this, uh, and this message is coming from Jesus, he that is holy and he that is true. Jesus is holy and true. He identifies himself as uh, one set apart. He is the divine son of God, and he is true. He's actually uh, the standard by which all truth uh, is measured. So that's why we're presuppositionalists in apologetics. Uh, we, can, we start with a presupposition uh, of who God is, knowing that uh, everyone uh, knows of God's existence and are therefore without excuse before him. Uh, we don't seek to establish Jesus as uh, the truth. He is the truth, and we operate from that assumption because without it, nothing makes sense. Uh, if you don't have that presupposition to start, um, you're trying to prove something while assuming it. So we want to just own the assumption God's the creator of the world, and therefore we assume his existence in, in our argumentation. Jesus identifies himself as holy and true, and then goes on to give uh, a more unique descriptor that we haven't seen yet. He that hath the key of David. He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. So again, this is a unique greeting. We haven't had really any, any kind of language like this so far in the greetings to the churches in Revelation. And uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 22, uh, Isaiah 22 is going to shed light on, on what's being talked about here in Revelation. So Isaiah 22, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 25. And I'll give a little bit of a backstory to what we're talking about here. So there's a, there a man named Shebna, and he was a treasurer for King Hezekiah. And uh, a treasurer was basically like, think like second in command, basically. Uh, so Shebna controlled the, the in and out of who was in the king's courts. Uh, and so very powerful position in, uh, in Israel. 
and he was uh, a presumptuous man, a prideful man, which we'll see in our text here in Isaiah. Uh, what he winds up doing is basically uh, building for himself a an extremely luxurious, uh, yeah, fancy uh, sepulcher or grave tomb uh, for him to be buried in, basically with the kings uh, of Israel. So basically assumes this high lofty place, even though he was not somebody who was uh, considered faithful to the people of Israel, and God judges him for it. So we'll talk a little bit more about it, but we'll read the text now. This is uh, Isaiah 22, 15 through 25. Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Go get thee unto this treasurer, even unto Shebna, which is over the house. Again, he's over the house, right? So he's overseeing the, the who's, who's coming in and out of the house. That's important. And say, What hast thou here? And whom hast thou here, that thou hast hewed thee out a sepulchre here, as he that heweth him out a sepulchre on high, and that graveth in habitation for himself in a rock? Behold, the Lord will carry thee away. So this is the Lord's response to uh, Shebna's presumptuous, presumptuousness in the, uh, the type of sepulchre he made for himself in Jerusalem. Behold, the Lord will carry thee away with a mighty captivity. And will surely cover thee. He will surely violently turn and toss thee like a ball into a large country. There, sh- there shalt thou die, and there the chariots of thy glory shall be the shame of thy Lord's house. And I will drive thee from thy station, and from thy state shall he put thee down. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. So Eliakim comes to replace, God use, uh, takes Eliakim puts him in the place that Shebna had as treasurer over the house. And I will clothe him, that is Eliakim, with thy robe, speaking to Shebna here, with thy robe, and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. This is the language we have in Revelation, right? And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place, and he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house, the offspring, and the issue, all vessels of small quantity, from the vessels of cups even to all the vessels of flagons. And that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall in the burden that was upon it shall be cut off for the Lord hath spoken it. So again, God tells Shebna uh, that he's going to be replaced by Eliakim uh, due to his own sin. And we see Eliakim here as uh, a type of Christ. So Christ here in uh, back in Revelation again says that he is um, he is the one that hath the key of David. So this key that was laid upon Eliakim's shoulder, right? He was given now power over the in and out of who's coming into the, the house of David, right? And uh, that's a, a small picture of, of who Jesus is, right? Jesus is the antitype of that. Jesus is the one who uh, hath the key of David. And this is uh, the greatest comfort that could come to Philadelphia, which is a place uh, riddled with persecution for the church in Philadelphia by Jews. So the Jews were the, one of the main persecutors of the church in Philadelphia, uh, barring uh, the people in Philadelphia from the synagogue, uh, telling them basically, you know, the message from the Jew in that time to the Christian was, you've abandoned the God of your fathers. You've abandoned the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Our God, you've abandoned him, and now you're following this Jesus, right? 
Now, Jesus was the, the fulfillment of uh, what these... Uh, Jesus was the hope of Abraham. He was the hope of Isaac. He was the hope of Jacob. And uh, the Jews were failing to recognize that. And in doing so, barring these Philadelphians from, uh, from the synagogue, from the house of God. And, uh, and in doing so, basically telling them they had no part with him. Right? They've, they've abandoned him. Uh, and so Jesus comes to say, uh, well, you know, the leaders of the synagogues have nothing to say about who's in and out of my house. The keys to God's house belong to Jesus. And so uh, he, as the standard of truth, right, as the one who is true, uh, with eyes as a flame of fire, as we've seen, uh, he's going to be the one to determine who's in and out of the temple, who's in and out of the courts of God. If Jesus accepts a church, uh, then that church has access to God's throne room. If Jesus does not accept a church, they don't have access to that throne room. It doesn't matter what their status is, what their reputation is. Uh, it comes down to uh, what Jesus' evaluation of the church is, right? Uh, it's, that, it's that Matthew idea of coming up, Lord, Lord, did we not, this, that. It, it's Jesus' call, who's in and who's out. And so we, we look to his word as our standard uh, by which we determine, you know, is a church a true church? Is a church uh, being faithful? Uh, it's not arbitrary. It's not up for interpretation. Uh, if a church is disobedient to Jesus, as we'll see going forward, what it is that has granted these guys access, uh, they, they haven't denied his name. They've kept his word. Let's go on in the text. So again, Jesus is uh, the one with the key of David. He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Full authority over all of it. I know thy works. So I know thy works has been a refrain to most of the churches, and is in and of itself dependent upon what church it is, on whether or not that's an encouragement or a discouragement, right? When we looked at Sardis, it was far from encouragement. It says, I know thy works, and the follow-up was, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So I know your works, you guys are a joke. Right, I know your works. You guys are a fraud, is what he says to them. To Philadelphia, he follows up after saying that he knows their works, uh, nothing they do, nothing, and, and consequently nothing we do uh, for Christ is ever in vain. None of it. Uh, any Saturday out at the mill, uh, difficult conversations, uh, discouragements from what you feel like is a lack of productivity. Uh, Jesus knows our works. So he sees all of it. He sees every difficult conversation we choose to have at work. He sees, uh, he sees anything we do for others. Uh, you know, any generosity uh, in your life. And also any sin, right? It's, it's a double-edged sword. So anywhere we're failing, uh, it's, a, it's a joke to try to keep those things uh, to ourselves. Again, Jesus has eyes as a, as a flame of fire. And so he knows our works. So uh, bring them to him. Don't hide from him while you have this uh, vain thought of being able to, to live in your sin and because you're not you know, getting effects of it now because no one else here is Jesus. No one else has seen your works. But he knows your works. He knows the works of his churches. And to Philadelphia, it is actually an encouragement. He says, I know thy works. And goes right back, harkens back to what we've already talked about with this, uh, this language of a door into the temple, uh, which will be continued to flesh out as he writes to, this, uh, to the Philadelphian church. He says, Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. So we'll come back to that in a sec. But for uh, thou hast a little strength. So this is, this is 
why he has set an open door for them. He says, For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So this church, you know, we looked at Sardis a couple, uh, a couple in the last few weeks, right? And Sardis had this reputation of being alive, strong, probably, you know, think like mega church, maybe multiple services. We talked about all that kind of stuff. Outwardly, in that community, it was like, wow, that church is awesome. That church is doing a lot for the community. They're thriving. And Jesus looks at them and says, you know, whatever it was in that community that made that church look alive. We know Jesus had the exact opposite view of it, said they were dead. Uh, this church has little strength. So... You know, battle-tested church, probably worn out, uh, probably fighting a lot of discouragement, um, maybe not outwardly looking like uh, a church that is lively and thriving. But uh, Jesus says, though they have little strength, they have kept his word and have not denied his name. So he knows their works. Namely, uh, they've kept his word and they've not denied his name. So, you know, it wasn't just... This, this being banned from the synagogue wasn't just uh, hurt feelings. Obviously, it went deeper than that. They're probably having questions based on how, how much Jesus talks about uh, the fact that they're accepted in him in, uh, in this letter. Uh, I think it's fair to assume they were dealing with a decent amount of discouragement, uh, doubt, uh, questioning if their you know, allegiance is worth keeping because uh, not only was, were they barred from the synagogue, but that had implications for all of life in that time. That had implications for the type of job you can get. How are you going to provide for your family? Um, you know, are you going to be able to maintain the lifestyle you have right now? All those kind of things are coming into question because uh, everything's linked, right? Uh, now, uh, the people, the people that they're expected to get a job from, they're they're cast out of that community. It's going to be a, it's going to be more than just the synagogue. It's going to be a communal, a communal issue. Anywhere they go in that city, uh, they're going to have difficulties because they're marked out as Christ's. And we know they stayed out. They stayed marked out as Christ because uh, they kept His word, and they did not deny His name. So obviously, the same is commanded of us. We are not to uh, deny His name, and we're to keep His word. And there's uh, there's no context in which that changes. Right, the level of difficulty doesn't change uh, the duty. Uh, we certainly have it easier than they did in terms of the level of persecution. And so, in any context you can think of. Um, there's no situation in which we can uh, cease from keeping his word, cease from uh, living a life where we do not uh, deny his name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan which say that they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Which is very strong language from Jesus. Uh, super helpful. Uh, one thing it makes me think of immediately is, uh, you know, some of the criticisms we get in terms of street evangelism, right? People will throw out terms of like legalist, this or that, using too harsh of language. Um, which as an encouragement or a, maybe a correction, something that I think I can sometimes at least think about momentarily, if not slip into, you know, if, if people bring criticisms to you on that kind of stuff, uh, your first inclination should just be to hear it. So, you know, it can be easy in the light of somebody coming with criticism to just be like, well, they don't even do evangelism. So I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to hear them out. You know, they, they got nothing good to say to me. That's a really arrogant position to take. 
So don't do that. Um, cure them out because what if they have a correction over you? So you know, them, they might be in sin with the way that they're living their life in uh, simply you know, the only Christian act in their life is just correcting other Christians, right? That's all they're doing. Uh, don't allow that to, to dictate you know, what you gain from an interaction. You don't need to chastise someone when you're like actually being harsh on something where you shouldn't be, whatever it might be, you know, whatever correction they offer. Seek to hear them. Certainly seek to bring correction where you see it and where it's appropriate. Um, but don't, don't take someone's failures and, uh, and allow it to basically stifle you in your pride from growing, from hearing them out. Truth can come from people who are sinning in ways even when they're applicable to the situation. So that's an aside. But Jesus here uh, calls the Jews liars. So he says, uh, well, I'll make them of the synagogue of Satan. So that tells you what Jesus thinks about unbelieving Jews, right? Jews who have not hoped in the Messiah and therefore submitted themselves unto Christ. He says they worship Satan. Uh, that applies to everyone who does not bow the knee to Christ. So Muslims worship Satan. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Buddhists are Satan worshipers, right? He is, he is the head of those churches. So that's what Jesus thinks about these churches says that they say they are Jews. So he won't even give them the title. Jews, true Jews, hope in the Messiah. You're not a Jew. This wasn't a group of people not in the synagogue. These were the exact people barring them from coming into the synagogue. So these people were identifying themselves as Jews. Not just cultural Jews. Like these are the Jews of Philadelphia. And he says they are, uh, they say they are Jews. You say you're Jews, but actually you're not because you lie. And, uh, and that's, that's encouraging in, in terms of evangelism. What it made me think of with evangelism is just um, the need to uh, show people where they're at. So oftentimes the, uh, a claim of legalism will be thrown out simply because uh, law is being talked about. Uh, but Paul clearly says that uh, the law actually functioned to, you know, where, where there's no law, there's no sin. We, we preach the law so that people might see their sin, not because we're trying to create some... Uh, list of deeds that we can check off and be made right with God. That's not what we're doing out there. And any of you guys who have been out there preaching or at least been there while we preach know that's not what we seek to do. And so we must, we must lay out the truth. We must, these Jews need to know that they're worshiping Satan. It does them no good to not tell them that they need to see where they fall short uh, of God's standard, where they're missing the mark, where they're even living, either living in ignorance or living uh, just in willful rebellion to God's law. And, uh, and give ourselves a platform from which to preach the gospel so that they know that they need salvation. They don't need, know they need salvation. The gospel is of little effect. So Jesus doesn't pull a punch, but says it how it is. He says that they are uh, of the synagogue of Satan. You don't even want, you don't want entrance into that synagogue. It's the synagogue of Satan. Uh, forget about it. And you don't want to compromise. You don't want to give up uh, what the inheritance you have, we'll see later, the crown that you've already been given. You don't want to give that up uh, by uh, sacrificing something that you know to be true in God's word, by denying his name. And, and by denying his name, it's not just, it's a good pairing of keeping his word and not denying his name. Because not denying his name uh, means not denying him what he's owed, which is full obedience. So it's not just like, oh, I never said, you know, I hate Jesus or I don't worship Jesus. It's like, well, you, you did say that when you compromised on that thing that somebody told you not to do, but God commanded it of you. Yes, that's denying his name, right? And so Jesus tells them, uh, 
Why would you give that up? I have a door to you that no man can close. No man has the power to close a door that Jesus has opened. Only he has the keys of David. And so he's opened the door. Why would you sacrifice these things? Why would you give up what you've been given by doing these things, by denying his name or by not keeping his word, uh, just to have entrance into the synagogue of Satan? And that's, that's really the, always the dynamic, right? Whenever we're choosing sin over obedience to Jesus, or actually choosing is the synagogue of Satan, right? All sin leads to death. It is a, a following of Satan, even if it's just for a moment, uh, giving into a temptation, walking in sin. Uh, that's always the alternative. It's either uh, walk through the door that Jesus has opened for us, if you're in him, into the courts of God, into eternal blessedness, or uh, sell out so that you can have entrance into the synagogue of Satan. Jesus goes on to say, to these, about these lying Jews. He says, Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. And this again, note here, this is a, a reference to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 14, if you want to turn there. Uh, if not, I can just read it. It's just one verse. Uh, so this is a promise in Isaiah 60, verse 14. To the Israelites, right? So he's, uh, Isaiah is talking to the Israelites, and he says, he goes there. He says, uh, the sons also of them that are afflicted, of them that afflicted thee, shall come bending unto thee. And all they that despise thee shall bow them down at the soles of thy feet. And they shall come, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. So this is the promise that God gives through Isaiah to the people of Israel. And so, honestly, Revelation 3 is pretty monumental in terms of a shift covenantally, right? These Jews, these same Jews, right, the same people that God promises to, uh, it's a promise to true Israel. True Israel is uh, those who are Christ's by faith. And so we see a, a, a drastic switch here where uh, God says that those same Jews that this promise was made to are actually going to be the ones. It turns out that they're actually the heathen. They're actually uh, the heathen that will, uh, Jesus says, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, to bow down before their feet, and to know that I have loved thee. So this is the, you know, the utmost of encouragement. These, these people were familiar, the church in Philadelphia was familiar with their Old Testaments. So they knew, uh, you know, they knew the drastic switch that was happening here. Uh, the reality that uh, the Jews were now, you know, the tables were being turned. Uh, God's people uh, were being revealed for who they were, true Israel, those who are Christ's by faith. And those who reject uh, God's Messiah are not God's people. There's not two ways of salvation for God's people. People actually teach that. Uh, even right at PLU, people teach that, you know, Jews in the Old Testament were saved one way. Christians in the New Testament saved a different way. It's one God uh, who saves always uh, by grace through faith in Christ. And those who stand apart from Christ are his enemies. There's no other category. You're either with Christ or you're against him. And God promises, Jesus promises here to the church in Philadelphia that these same Jews persecuting them now would be bowing the knee, worshiping before their feet, and recognizing that they are 
as we'll see at the end of our text, you know, in, in Isaiah 60, right, it ends by saying that they'll call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. And what does God say? What does Jesus say he's going to give to the church in Philadelphia if they overcome but the name of the city of God upon them? That's their inheritance. So this is the fulfillment of that, that Philadelphia has promised. This church has received the promises of God as the true Israel, God's elect. The church is the city of the Lord, Mount Zion. Let's go on in our text. Verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So Philadelphia had already marked itself out as steadfast in persecution, right? Again, Jesus says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. So Jesus promises a reward to this church, a blessing for their obedience. Because they have kept the word of Christ's patience, they've been marked out by patience. They will also, uh, he will also keep thee, them from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. Right, we've talked about uh, what the hour of temptation is, uh, the destruction that comes upon Jerusalem in AD 70. We've established that in some text already. And, we'll, the, uh, and more so, to be honest, we've asserted that with where we are in Revelation so far. And we'll see it play out uh, as time comes, goes on. Uh, but even in verse 11, just to give uh, more context before we talk more about 10. Uh, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So Jesus tells them they're going to come quickly. We've made a, a strong emphasis going through Revelation that these words quickly, soon, meant something to these churches. And they have something, right? They have a crown, which we'll get to shortly. They have a crown now that he's telling them to make sure they hold on to. So very fairly, I think we can assume and make the assertion that uh, this hour of temptation would come upon, like th this church would be present for that hour of temptation. Right, Jesus says, hold fast so that no one takes your crown. Hold fast through what? What he just talked about. The hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them. So we don't, need to, we don't want to pull that out of the context that it's in. It's in the context of uh, you've been patient. Because you've been patient, I'm promised to preserve you through this tribulation coming. Do not give up the crown that you have. That's the, that's the logic of the, of the text, right? And so, because this, this is a big premillennial verse, which is why I'm harping on it a little bit. I'll say, oh, yeah, preserved from the hour of temptation means they're going to be caught up, you know, taken from the earth, and then the hour of temptation will come. Well, right after he says the temptation is going to come, he says, first of all, he's going to come quickly. And he tells this church to hold fast that no one, that no man takes their crown. So far from uh, an escapist uh, removal from the world, this church is actually being uh, commanded by God, encouraged to uh, persevere through the temptation as it comes with Jesus promising that them uh, that he would uh, preserve them through it. Behold, I come quickly. Verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. That no man take thy crown. Uh, Jesus has given his people crowns now. Uh, we've talked already in, in Revelation about the fact that we are... Uh, not future kings and priests with Christ, but now 
Jesus is ruling and reigning. He's ascended to his throne, crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And he's crowned us as kings and priests with him. Uh, So we have that now. We have that inheritance now. uh, And Jesus commands the church here to uphold that. Holding fast to Christ's word means overcoming. Verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go no more out. And I will write upon the name, write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. So Jesus continues with this uh, this temple language, right? Uh, not only do you have, he tells the church in Philadelphia, and the same is true to every true church and the believers in those true churches. Not only uh, do you have entrance into the courts. Uh, through a door that no man can shut. If you're obedient to me, uh, whatever comes on this earth, whatever cost it is to, to follow me, uh, no man can shut the door to the courts of, of God for us. If we're faithful unto God, if we keep his word and do not forsake his name, there's nobody who can shut the door for us. Life's pretty short, and we have guaranteed entrance into the, the kingdom of God, into God's holy courts forever. If we stay faithful to him, which certainly we're all, we're all reformed here, we know that, that is a work of his grace alone. So our lives should be steeped in prayer that he would preserve us to the end. And we know that he will be faithful to do that for all of his people. Uh, but we don't take lightly the, the warning passages of scripture, but take them for what they are. There is a, there is a way to be cut off from Christ and prove that we were never uh, among his elect. And so we want to press on. We want to be marked by prayer. But this, this promise that the door will be open is actually only the start. He says that uh, those who overcome, those who do not let man uh, take the crown that they've been given, a royal crown of uh, being a king and priest with Jesus, which is incomparable to any, uh, any earthly security or treasure that you could think of, incomparable, uh, to the one that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go no more out. So not only do you have an entrance into it, you're actually going to be a part of the very structure of it, right? Uh, Peter talks about this, right? That the temple is no longer built with human hands. It's actually living stones. We actually uh, ourselves are indwelt by the Spirit and by His grace are built into uh, the holy temple of God, the church, right? Each of us a living stone in that. So Jesus, Jesus promises them that they're actually going to be pillars within the very temple. And you think about a pillar, think about, think about permanence, think about strength, uh, Established, immovable, uh, structural integrity, right? Uh, Jesus is promising them a permanent place in the temple of God. And he shall go no more out, right? That drives the point home. He shall go no more out. This is home. This is home for those who will overcome. If we'll be faithful to God unto the end, he promises to be faithful to preserve us. And in doing so, uh, we will no more go out. A day will come where uh, you know, sin will be wiped away. Right now, our lives are to be marked by uh, submission to God and often repenting, right? The more we're in God's word, the more we should be repenting. If you're reading God's word more and more and repentance is getting less and less, that's a huge problem. You're not seeing what's there. When, when we read God's word, uh, when we're talking about things, uh, when we're encouraging one another to, to be better, to do better, which is a good encouragement, right? Christianity is... 100% about getting better. We want to be more and more like Jesus, who is the best, right? It's not salvation by works, but Jesus is the best. We want to be like him. We need to get a lot better. That's 
good and biblical. Uh, all of that is by grace. Uh, but we need, to, we need to be seeking to, to grow. And the only way that's going to happen is through repentance. It's a work of God in our hearts, not us making ourselves better, but uh, seeking to be conformed to the image of Christ uh, through repentance uh, and seeking to follow after him by the power of the Spirit. So we'll go no more out. And Jesus says he will write upon them the na- uh, write upon him the name of my God. To the overcomer, he will have the name of God written upon him. God's name upon man symbolizes restoration, complete restoration between us and God as we're fully glorified, uh, redeemed to what we were supposed to be, right? What we were made to be all along, uh, image bearers of God, not marred by sin, uh, but restored with his name upon us. In the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. As we've talked about, the city of God uh, is what the Jews, the lying Jews who are not Jews will recognize that uh, this church in Philadelphia is. They are uh, the city of God, the, the Holy One of Zion. In the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem. And, and here on earth now, the tangible reality of that is, is the church, right? Christians are to be uh, members of local churches, that's to be a normative thing in the Christian life uh, because uh, we are saved as a people, right? We have the name of the city of God written on us, New Jerusalem. So we're a part of, we're a, part of a heavenly city. And so though we're obviously saved individually, uh, God is saving a people for himself. And we actually are, are bound to one another. So the way that plays out tangibly here and now is local church membership. So Aaron and Aubrey are soon moving up to Quarter Lane. And, you know, Aaron has already got a game plan of what church am I going to be a part of. You know, JD just got out here. He's already thinking, all right, I know there's a couple, here's some good churches. I need to figure out what I want to do, become a member ASAP. Uh, because the, the Christian is not to live uh, apart from uh, God's people, right? This is, uh, we want to see heaven come as, uh, we want to see on earth what is now in heaven. She has that drama from me for sure. <laughs> yeah, that was a flop. Flawed <laughs> age. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, there's a really stark divorce if your Christianity here is marked out by this individualistic, you know, individual walk apart from the body of Christ, which is where a lot of your correction is going to come. A lot of this, you know, a lot of the sharpening that needs to take place in your life uh, is providentially going to happen through other believers. Oftentimes we're, uh, you know, willfully ignorant, like we were talking about last night, willfully ignorant of the areas we're sinning, or at least, you know, agreeing in principle, and then our practice uh, is inconsistent with what we would yes and amen as a principle. But you don't pick up on that stuff normally. Uh, you conveniently ignore the inconsistencies, uh, but brothers and sisters notice that stuff, and good brothers and sisters will call you out on that. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And so, that you know, it'd be a stark contrast to have this individualistic Christian life, and then in heaven to be marked with the name of the city of God upon you, saved among his people. Uh, we want consistency. We want to see on earth uh, a miniature picture of what's coming in heaven, and this picture on earth grows and grows and grows until Jesus returns. Unless they all write upon him my new name. Jesus, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, was crowned King of kings and Lord of lords, 
and he's bestowed on us crowns and there'll be a consummation of that when we come uh, before him in heaven and he will write upon us uh, his new name. We will share in his kingship, share in his ruling over all the earth with him as our great king. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. So God speaks truth and offers life. Jesus is true and holy and has the key of David. His command is that we look upon him with eyes of faith, trust his work in your place, and obey his commands. Do not forsake his word. Do not forsake his name. Only Jesus can open the doors of the court, and only he can establish you as a pillar in God's temple with his new name. So with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for... uh, this time in your word. pray that we would continue to uh, strive to be those marked by uh, faithfulness to your word, by uh, shuddering at the idea of uh, denying your name, uh, certainly looking at circumstances uh, can make things more difficult, looking at uh, trials that could come through obedience to you, uh, but things become so clear when we look upon you as our crucified and risen Savior. Uh, Though you owed us nothing, and we owed you uh, our lives, death. We were owed death. That's what we earned in our sin against you, our creator. Uh, You sent your son for us to be crushed upon the cross, to bear our sin, to give us his righteousness. And so it shouldn't be, uh, it is such a mark of the sin that remains in us, that we are uh, slow to obey slow to change, uh, slow to yield to what we know to be true in your word when we see it to be so. Uh, Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we uh, continually fall short. We thank you for uh, your sufficient grace to pay for all of our sins in us, that you would continue to uh, perform us, equip us to do that which you're calling us to. Uh, Help us to grow with one another, to be uh, faithful to admonish and rebuke where there's uh, rebuke to be had and to encourage one another to press on towards uh, towards the goal of, of being a pillar in uh, in your temple. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.